We're continuing to work our way through the book of James. And so if you want to follow along, we've come to the reading of God's Word. James chapter 4, we're in this morning. James chapter 4, we're going to look at the first six verses. This is the word of the Lord. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the pride, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of God, and we give thanks. Well, we've been talking to the boys and girls about it, and I want to speak to, yes, the boys and girls who are here, but everyone else, and I want to ask you the question. Have you ever lost your temper? Okay. Have you ever lost your temper? Have a little think. Uh, Maybe it was at work. Maybe it was at home. Maybe it was with the children. Maybe it was with your parents. Maybe it was with a sibling. Maybe it was even here in church. Have you ever lost your temper? Well, I wonder, have you ever given much thought to what was really going on in here whenever you lost your temper? Why was it that you got just so, so angry? And maybe it just happened like that, and you didn't even see it coming. What was going on? Why did you get so angry? A few weeks ago, the light flashed up on the car dash to say that it was short of Uh, window wiper fluid, the the washer fluid. Now, I didn't think too much about it because I don't normally think too much about it when it happens. What I do is I I go and get the watering can and I put some water in it and I I open up the bonnet and I I fill it up with water. I just did what I normally do and then I close the bonnet and happily got on with my life. Now, the next day, as I was driving my car, the very same light came on. Now, that was somewhat unusual because I, well, I hadn't used the wipers in between, and I started to think that's, that's somewhat strange, isn't it? And even if I had used the wipers and I'd momentarily forgotten, I certainly hadn't used them to the extent that I would expect to have to refill all of the washer fluid again on this uh, the very next day. And so I realized there must be a problem. And so to inspect the problem, what did I do? I opened up the bonnet, I got my watering can, and I started to fill it up and just watched to see if anything you know, untoward was happening around the engine. And then I noticed it. As I poured in the water at this side of the engine, over at this side of the engine, just under the, just under the light, the headlamp, out squirted lots of water. And I thought to myself, I don't think this is supposed to happen. <laughs> so what do you do whenever you've got a problem like that? Well, what do I do? I know that I don't have the, the knowledge and the understanding of what to do to fix the problem. I don't have the tools in place. So what I do, I, I phone my mechanic and I say, I've got a problem. Will you have a look at it? 
my mechanic is the expert. He knows what he's doing, and, and thankfully, he's able to help me out. What does he do? He gets the car, he opens up the bonnet, and then he tells me what's really going on inside. And what I think we'll see this morning is that James is, well, he's kind of like the mechanic, isn't he? Because he opens up the bonnet, and then he tells us what's really going on inside. 4 verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Remember, James is writing to uh, the church, and it's a scattered church, probably lots of smaller groups who are meeting uh, up together. But James knows what's happening as these groups are, are gathering together. James knows that it's, well, it's not as peaceable as it should be. No, rather, there's, there's fights, there's battles, there's quarrels, and there's strife. And James doesn't just write to them and say, okay, I've, I've heard about that incident. You know the one where one of you stormed out of the committee meeting and almost left the door off its hinges? I've heard about that. You need to stop that. You need to stop that. But James doesn't just do that. But James doesn't just want to deal with the outward behavior, saying, stop that, don't do that again. Like a bad mechanic wrapping cling film around the front of my car, hoping that it would solve all of my issues. Now, James opens up the bonnet, and he seeks to expose the leaking pipe so that it can be fixed. James wants to get to the heart of the issue, doesn't he? The root rather than just the bad fruit. And James says that the reason for the fights, the reasons for the, for the quarrels, is that your passions are at war within you. In other words, James is saying that the problem for the Christian is, that he's writing to, is that they are living in a, a state of double-mindedness. That's the problem. You see, their passions are at war within them. Passions is, is really just another word of, uh, to say, desires or, or lusts, what we, what we look for. And they are at war. There's a real tussle going on inside their, inside their hearts. And the struggle is between the desires of their, of their new heart that's been placed within them as a Christian and that of their old nature. And so there's this battle within. And the question is, is the desire for what God wants or the desire for what the fleshly nature wants going to win out? Who's going to win? Well, the fights and the quarrels take place whenever the natural passions and lusts are given the prominent place, aren't they? Whenever we do not put them to death. Verse 2, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. Wonder how you respond when you don't get what you want. James says this is what happens. When you don't get what you want, whenever your passion, your lust is your whatever your, your natural self wants, and you don't get it, what does James say? James says, then you will murder. You might say to James, James, that's a, that's a pretty extreme response, isn't it? It's a pretty extreme response, not getting what I want. You know, I might huff, I might puff, I might throw all my toys out of the pram, but surely, surely I wouldn't murder James. But James is not scaremongering. <laughs> Rather, James knows only too well the mechanics of what takes place under the bonnet, and he knows that we all have real potential. Real potential, if the issue of sinful desires is not dealt with, that really could lead to murder, because the seeds of murder lie in each man's heart. Let's take an example from the Bible and let's see it worked out. Someone that you might know, King David, 
Uh, maybe you know the story of David and Bathsheba. What happens? David sees this beautiful lady. He wants her for himself. That was his desire, his lust. He sends for her. He sleeps with her, even though, even though he knows that she is married to someone else. That's someone else being one of the soldiers who's actually out fighting for him at that very moment in battle. David desired, didn't he? David knew that he could not have this woman without breaking God's law, so he was aware of that. Thou shalt not commit adultery, but he wants it. He desires it. And so there's this great big head-on collision, isn't there? This great big clash with whatever comes between him and his desire. Here's this woman whom he wants. Here's his desire. God's law says no. And so there's this great big collision with God's law because he really, really wants it, doesn't he? David desired. He knew it was wrong, and yet he was willing to break God's command in order to get what he wanted. The battle took place between sinful desire and God's revealed will, his law. And in this case, we see that the sinful desire won. You probably know the story. What happens? He sleeps with this woman, and then he hears word back. And what is the word? The word is, I am pregnant. And David knows that he is likely to be found out, doesn't he? Remember, she's married to a soldier. The soldier is not around. He's out fighting in the battle. People will be able to do the maths, and they will say, oh, it's funny, her husband wasn't around. Who was around? Well, there was one man who did not go out to war. What was his name? David the king. And they may start to ask some questions. And so David schemes, doesn't he? He schemes and has uh, her husband brought home under the auspices of uh, giving a, a bit of a field report from battle. Let me know how things are going in the battle. Tell me, please. Hoping that he will then head home and spend an evening with his wife and that this might then cover up David's sinful tracks. But what happens in the story? Maybe you know it. You can go home and read it this afternoon if you don't. Well, Uriah, her husband, refuses to go home. He refuses to go home and enjoy the pleasures of his wife. Why? He says, I can't do that when all the other, all the other soldiers are off in battle and in their tents. I can't do that. But David has a problem, doesn't he? And his problem is his desire. This time it's his desire not to be caught not to have his sinful actions exposed. And so he takes the action that you couldn't possibly imagine. David, the, the shepherd boy, God's chosen king, what does he do? Well, he ends up sending his commander a note via Uriah himself, which says to put him at the point of the fiercest fighting and the drawback so that he is killed. So that he is killed. James says you desire and you do not have, so you murder. And surely David didn't think that he was capable of going so far. But without his sinful desires being kept in check, being put to death, this is where it led to, isn't it? Murder. David's desire not to be found out led him along a path of death and destruction. And I wonder if you're honest this morning, can you see what James is saying worked out in your own life? Uh, last Sunday night, if you were here, John really helpfully reminded us that often it's whenever we look back in the rearview mirror that we can see God at work and what he's doing. 
Well, I wonder as you look back at sometimes in, in your life when you've got really angry, times when you have broken God's laws, think of some of the laws that you've, you've broken, what was it that was really going on in here? What was it that was really your desire? What was it that you really, really, really wanted? What was it that drove you to do whatever it was that you did? Perhaps it was a desire for something or someone. Perhaps it was a desire for fame and, and, and power. Perhaps it was a desire to maintain a reputation or to protect your name. And because the desire was so strong, it showed itself in a willingness to break the law of God. And maybe, maybe you even surprised yourself just how far you were willing to go in order to meet the desires of your heart. Actions that you think to yourself, well, I wouldn't have thought I would have ever done that. I, I could never have imagined myself doing that. You didn't set out to steal. You didn't set out to lie and defame someone else's character. You didn't set out to destroy someone else's marriage. You didn't set out to send those texts. And yet, when desire was not put to death, that is what happened. And James says that desire, if it gets what it wants, it can destroy anything in its path. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. And you see, whenever we fight and we quarrel, it's, it's really just a sign that we haven't got what we wanted, isn't it? That's what's going on there, isn't it? And James goes on to tell us something else, like the mechanic that uh, whenever he looks at the water leak, he says it's actually linked to another bigger issue in the, in, the, in the center of the engine, something that maybe you hadn't expected at all. Well, James tells us, that the reason that we don't have what we want is actually linked to our prayer lives. Well, it's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? We weren't expecting James to end up with our prayer lives this morning. Whenever he first asked the questions about quarrels and fights, you were thinking, okay, I can see where he's going here. And then he talks about prayer, and you think, what? Really? This is linked to prayer? So what is it that James says? Well, he's got two things he wants us to see about our prayer lives. James says, you don't have what you want because you do not ask. Do you see that? That's one option. In other words, you live thinking that you can just go and get what you want, but you don't need God. So the idea of humbling yourself before God, the Father recognizing that he made all things, that he rules over all things, and that ultimately he's the one who decides whether you will receive or whether you will not receive, well, this doesn't come into play because you think you're really in charge. You think you can do your own thing and that God is left to the side Perhaps you don't really believe that God is in control this morning. Maybe that's why you don't pray. Perhaps you don't really believe that all good things come from your Father above. Maybe that's why you don't pray this morning. Perhaps you don't really believe that God has ordained prayer as one of the means that he uses to, to rule the world. And so you do not pray. So I'm going to ask you the question this morning, do you pray? Do you pray? I wonder, is there much that you do not have because you've never come to God and asked him? It's the prayer meeting this week, Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. We'd love you to join us. And the second reason that we do not have what we want is not that we've not been praying, 
but that you've been praying for the wrong things. Isn't that what James says? You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it in your own passions. We say, yikes, James, right? Okay. James says that for some of those who he is writing to, the reason that they have not got what they're praying for is that they're praying for the wrong things. What they're desiring is not godly desires. They were praying for things, and really, they were just praying for their own gain, not for God's glory. James says that they were praying for things to spend them in their own passions. You kind of think of another uh, example of someone in the Bible who this might be a picture that helps us. Think of the prodigal son, the one who takes his share of the inheritance, and what does he do? He spends it foolishly. It's a picture of someone who comes to God with the wrong desires, isn't it? It's coming to God in prayer, but you're not seeking the kingdom of God to come. You're not praying for his will to be done. What you're looking is your will to be done. In fact, perhaps sometimes we even know that God does not want us to ask for something. And so that's the reason that we never come and pray in the first place, isn't it? Because we know already that our desires are wrong. And so what do we do? Well, like Eve in the garden, we just try and take it into our own hands, don't we? And so what we need this morning is God to reshape our desires. What we need is a God-shaped desire rather than a me-shaped desire. And you see, James is working really hard on the diagnostics, isn't he? He knows the presenting issues. He's highlighted some of the, the causes. But then he wants to hit us with one key issue, the root problem, and it comes as a shock comes as a shock to us this morning because James says the real problem is this. James says the real problem is you've been sleeping around. You've been in bed with someone who isn't your wife. The man you slept with last night is not your husband. And that this is no minor thing. Can you think about a weightier betrayal? James speaks to those whom he's been addressing as brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, and he says to them, here's the problem. He says, you cannot have two lovers. You can't say you worship God and then spend your time in bed with some other false god. You can't say that Jesus is your Lord and then live with your own sinful desires, taking pride of place and ruling how you live. You can't live like this. Like a spouse who's keen to have all the benefits of a stable marriage and yet still wants a fling on the side. And James is saying the two are inconsistent. It's double-mindedness, and James comes back to this again and again and again, doesn't he? He says, you can't, you can't say one thing and live differently. The two are to go alongside each other. Listen to how he continues. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. The world, in this case, is the illicit lover, isn't it? It's not that everything that's physical is bad. That's not what he's saying. But rather... It's whenever we love the culture and the patterns that are established by culture, which are opposed to God, that's the problem. That's the issue. When our partnering up with the world sets ourselves at odds with God's way and God's word. And look at the very next line, because James, he doesn't leave us wondering just how serious this diagnostic, this diagnosis is. Listen to what he says, verse, uh, the second part of uh, verse 4. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see that? An enemy of God. The man or woman who designates themselves as a friend of the world has by implication made themselves an enemy with God. 
Let, you, let me tell you this morning that being an enemy of the one true living God is only going to end in one way, isn't it? You're not going to come out with the winner. It's the road to destruction. It's like the mechanic telling you that the engine has lost all of the water and all of the oil, and you say, well, I'm just going to continue to drive away anyway and see what happens. It's only going to end in one way, isn't it? This is no trivial matter. And the reason it matters is this, because God cares. God cares about one's heart and one's worship. And God wants to be worshipped alone. Thou shalt have no other gods. Verse 5, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? This isn't a a direct quotation from the Old Testament. It sums up rather a a summary of teaching from different places within it. Do you know the kind of way you do that? Maybe if you're writing an essay and you're saying, here's what the person says. Some of you are going to book club, aren't you? You've been um, looking at Life Together by Bonhoeffer. And so maybe by the end of the book, you'll be able to summarize what he says about community in one sentence. You'll say, Bonhoeffer says this about community. It seems that's what James is doing here. And the key thing James wants us to see is this. God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God, and so we are to take him seriously. And so I wonder, do we do that this morning? Do we take God seriously? The worship of God seriously? Do we listen to God's word and recognize that the God who created us and made us, who breathed life into his creation, who placed our spirits within us, Do we think that it is a small thing that God made us to worship him and him alone? Do we think that's a small thing? Do we presume that whenever we reject him, that he does not mind, that he's quite happy? Do we think that he's happy to overlook the rebellion? Now, the God is a jealous God, isn't he? He does not share the hearts of his people. And so the message of James is this. The love affair must cease. It cannot continue because God is like the jealous husband. He is not okay with his wife being off with another man. And so this morning, I wonder, are you fighting? Are you quarreling? Well, I wonder, have you examined your passions? Have you examined your desires? What's really going on in here? Are those desires desires that are good and right? Or are those fleshly desires? Evil desires, desires of the old man. Because it could be that as you do that examination, you will see that you have a divided heart. A divided heart. That's the engine behind all that is presenting itself. A heart divided between loving the world and loving God. So what are we to do? If we've recognized that, yes, that's us this morning. Well, James has struck at our hearts again, hasn't he? It's a book that should come with a health warning, isn't it? He's opened up the bonnet and he's quick to spot the issue, but he knows that it comes from a deeper problem and that that deeper problem really is the one that needs to be addressed. But then James gives us some good news. Look with me at verse six. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God's grace is stronger than our heart's sinful desires. And isn't that wonderfully good news this morning? The grace that rescued us from our sin in the first place is able to continue to work to bring about a change in our hearts 
That's good news, isn't it? So that we might set ourselves more and more single-heartedly focused on the worship of the one true living God. So that we might seek to rid our lives from all other lovers and be devoted solely to God. Oh, James has exposed the issue of our hearts once more, hasn't he? But he's reminded us too of the grace of God, how he is merciful towards us, not treating us as our sins deserve. He calls us to humble our hearts once more before him, seeking forgiveness of sin. And so our hope this morning comes from the fact that Christ himself only ever had pure desires, only ever pure desires. All his actions were out of a desire to please his heavenly Father. And so it is in his righteousness this morning that we must cling. And so as we finish, let me ask you a question. How's your heart this morning? What's its posture? Is it proudly stumbling towards destroying others and the path to destruction? Or is it humbly coming to God once again, seeking God's grace and God's mercy, seeking forgiveness for sin and and seeking with the help of the Spirit of God who lives within every believer to grow and mature, putting to death the evil desires and seeking to follow the new Spirit-given desires for those who are in Christ Jesus so that we might become, in the words of James, Mature, perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. Let us pray. Let's just take some time to do some self-examination. Father, we know that for the Christian this side of heaven, we will always know the wrestle within us between the desires of the flesh and the desire to keep your law. But we also know that we are no longer to be guided by our fleshly desires, but by the spirit that you have placed within us. And so, Lord, would you enable us to do a a diagnostic on the desires that we have and to see them for what they are, When they are fleshly and evil, might we put them to death? And when they are desires to follow the leading of the Spirit, desiring to keep your law, might we be single-minded to be obedient to the Spirit? Lord, we know that left on our own, we are rebels and enemies with you. But our hope is in the gospel. Our hope is in Christ and the redemption that we have through him. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, to save us from the guilt of sin and from the enslaving power of sin. But Lord, we know that the same Spirit works in us to bring spiritually dead hearts to life as the same Spirit that is able to bring about 
new desires. So might our lives be more and more marked with the fruit of the Spirit at work in us. Lord, we confess our double-mindedness, that often the desires that we follow are not the ones that we should. So would you forgive us our sin, we pray. But we also thank you that once again, your grace and your mercy is at work. And we have a reminder that for those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. Lord, for those who are not Christians this morning, might they see that the desires of their heart leave them set as enemies with you this morning. Might they come humbly in repentance and faith, seeking forgiveness of sin and a new heart. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.